and we want to draw close to Him. Okay, so that's the, the, the main reason that we're doing this. Is to know God. Not just to know about God. The other thing I want to say is uh, we left off with arguments for God's existence. Uh, arguments from reason. And when you go through arguments for or against the existence of God, please understand that evidentiary arguments are they're well and good as long as you subscribe to the same set of presuppositions. And the reason I say that is because the atheist, the humanist, and the Christian are looking at the same data. We're using the same evidences for and against the existence of God. The difference is, of course, how you interpret the data, how you interpret the evidence. And that's based on your set of presuppositions. We've talked about this uh, also. Your worldview, your presuppositions are going to filter and interpret what comes in. I can look at uh, the rock strata that we see uh, exhibited, and I say that's excellent proof that there was a worldwide flood. The sediments, you know, as the water drained off, the sediments filtered out, and, and this is what we're left with. The humanist will look at the same set of data, the same evidence, and say, well, that's excellent evidence for billions of years. How do we look at the same thing and get two different, enti entirely different conclusions? Because we're interpreting that data based on our, what we presuppose to be true. Okay? So, just keep that in mind. We have excellent reasons. We have very good evidences for believing what we do. But at the end of the day, all of these, the existence of God, the non-existence of God, are accepted by faith. Okay, so, arguments from nature. We see a lot of design and purpose built into creation. We can interpret that and we can explain that very easily from the biblical Christian worldview because it was designed. It was created on purpose. It's very simple for us to explain that. The humanist, not so much. We don't see a chaotic jumbling together of bits of matter, but everything highly organized and very well designed. The universe itself is so finely tuned to support the existence of life that secular mathematicians have taken it all, all of the various aspects, the fine-tuning of the universe, and have concluded that it is mathematically impossible to come up with a universe with this level of design, this level of order, based on 20 billion years. They need a whole lot longer period of time. But as other people have pointed out, mathematical uncertainties are, or a mathematical impossibility, they're impossible no matter how much time you throw at it. If you multiply zero by a billion or 20 billion, you still get zero. Zero percent chance. So, and we could go a lot into that, but just understand, because of the fine-tuning of the universe, it is apparent that there was an intelligent designer behind it all. 
we look at the planet Earth, the tilt of the axis provides seasons and the best distribution of light and heat during the year. It's the perfect distance from the sun to avoid freezing and burning. The sun is the perfect size and temperature to support life. Chemical composition of the atmosphere is ideally balanced for animal and vegetable life. The ratio of land and water gives proper rainfall and humidity. The design of water. We all know that after about a few degrees before freezing, water stops contracting and starts expanding again. It's the only material we know that does that. And that's important because ice floats. Why is that important? Because if it didn't float, it wouldn't melt in the springtime. It would sink to the bottom and just stay frozen. It would lead eventually to a bunch of frozen bodies of water with a little bit of water on top. Fascinating. There are all kinds of properties that water has that are so unique and necessary for the existence of life. Life itself, the DNA molecule, we've talked about that. The complexity and the amount of information built in to the DNA molecule. Information itself is evidence of an intelligent designer. Information doesn't come out of non-information. Scientists have developed these laws of information. One of the laws is that it always comes from a mind. Information doesn't come from a random chance event. The analogy has been used that, you know, monkey on a typewriter. If you give it enough time, it would type out the works of Shakespeare. You give it 20 billion years, just the random sequence, which still wouldn't happen. But even if it could, you got to understand, you're starting with letters. You're starting with a monkey and a typewriter. Okay, so you're already way ahead of the curve. Evolutionists have to start with literally nothing. And I mean that literally nothing. Nothing exploded and became everything. That doesn't sound like science at all. That sounds like <laughs> a creation event. It sounds like a miracle, which they disallow. Uh, irreducible complexity, we've talked about that concept. The idea that, like the eyeball, for example. Every part of the eyeball is necessary for it to work. If you remove any one part, it stops functioning. So it would all have to evolve simultaneously. But, of course, it didn't, according to the evolutionists. So it, it, it couldn't have happened. Argument from history. No figure can compare to Jesus Christ when one considers the impact one has had in our world. Any one person. If we look at the, the impact that Jesus Christ has had on the world. Uh, this is a quote I found in a book called Foundations of Pentecostal Theology. And this is... Uh, Napoleon speaking or writing. It says this, Christ's uniqueness is well expressed by Napoleon in a letter to General Bertrand. Uh, General Bertrand. Divine effects compel me to believe in a divine cause. Yes, there is a divine cause, a sovereign reason, an infinite being. That cause is the cause of causes. 
There exists an infinite being compared with whom you, general, are but an atom, compared with whom I, Napoleon, with all my genius, am truly nothing, a pure nothing. I perceive him, God. I see him, have need of him, I believe in him. If you do not believe in him, well, so much the worse for you. But you will, general, yet believe in God. I can pardon many things, but I have a, I have a horror of an atheistic and materialist the gods, the legislators of India and of China, of Rome and of Athens, have nothing which can overawe me. It is not so with Christ. Everything in him astonishes me. His spirit overawes me, and his will confounds me. Between him and whoever else in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. He is truly by himself. His ideas and his sentiments, the truths which he announces, his manner of convincing are not explained either by human organization or by the nature of things. His birth and the history of his life, the profundity of his doctrine, which grapples with the mightiest difficulties, the most admirable solution, his gospel. His march across the ages and the realms, everything is for me a prodigy, a mystery insoluble which plunges me into a reverie from which I cannot escape. A mystery is there before my eyes a mystery which I can neither deny nor explain. I search in vain in history to find the equal of Jesus Christ. Amen to that. Amen to that. The argument for morality. This is a quote I found from C.S. Lewis. He's always fun to quote. He says this about human morality. These, then, are the two points I wanted to make. First, that human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way and cannot really get rid of it. Secondly, they do not in fact behave in that way. They know the law of nature. They break it. These two facts are the foundation of all clear thinking about ourselves and the universe we live in. I never thought about it quite like that. Those two aspects seem to be universally true. We know right and wrong, but we consistently fail to do right and wrong. Well, right. We can seem to do wrong <laughs> quite well. So we were created in the image of God. That's why we possess his moral nature. Again, very simple to explain from a biblical Christian worldview. We were created in God's image, in his likeness. And so we are going to have a moral nature. Because of sin, it's warped, it's distorted. We don't always understand or know or do right and wrong. But we understand universally that there are things that we ought to do. And there are things that we ought not to do. The humanist has a very difficult time with that. Okay, so that concludes that. Now... Can move to the next lesson. His nature. Romans 11.33 says this. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. And 1 Kings 8.27 says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house that I have builded. King Solomon speaking. When we start 
getting into the uh, the specifics of God's character, we've got to we've got to approach this with humility and with reverence because indeed the totality of God will ever escape us. The 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 sum total of of what God is and and what He exists is, exists as and what He represents. At least this side of glory will always escape us. We are not capable as finite mortal creatures of understanding the infinite. And every aspect of God is infinite. Every aspect of God is perfection. So as we approach this study, please understand that. There are things that God has revealed to us in Scripture through His creation, and those are the things that we're going to focus on. But understand, everything that He has revealed to us is a minuscule fraction of the totality of who God is. And we will only ever understand that on the other side. So please understand that. But, having said that, God has revealed to us here everything that we need to know. Everything that He desires for us to know to serve Him and to worship Him and to have a relationship with Him. And for me, at least that's enough. As we begin to look at who God is and we begin to grasp with His character, His characteristics, this is more than enough. We stumble at this. So God's characteristics. I've divided this up into two groups, his character, his characteristics. His characteristics, these things we can understand about God largely through general revelation. Okay. First thing we see is that God is a spirit. And these things are also found in Scripture, which I will use extensively here. John 1.18 says, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. John 4.24 says, God is the Spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So as the Spirit, God exists in a non-material state. He doesn't have a body like you and I do. He's not bound to the material universe. He exists outside of it, above it. And yet He is active within it. He's not bound to physicality. He's not bound to any physical limitations that would come with that condition. For example, he never tires or needs to sleep. He never gets hungry, hot, cold, sick. He's not affected by anything in this creation. He's the one that affects creation. He's not affected by it. He does not need nor is hindered by physical facilities, or I'm sorry, faculties to observe or to interact with his creation. Okay, for example, he can see without possessing physical eyes. He doesn't need ears to hear. He can think and reason without possessing a physical brain. Now, having said that, he can assume any form he wants, however he wants, whenever he desires to interact with his creation. These physical representations of God are called theophanies. 
And we see a few examples of that in Scripture where he's done that. While in these forms, all of his inherent attributes remain in full effect. While he assumes these forms, he's still eternal. He's still omnipotent. He's still omnipresent. He's not only present in that physical form, particularly in the form of Jesus Christ. He was still omnipresent in the form of Jesus Christ. He doesn't need to assume any form, and he doesn't need to assume the same form. Again, all according to his will and to his design. So he can assume physical form if he wants. He certainly doesn't have to. He can interact with his creation uh, in spirit form. He can interact through his body. He can do it however he wants. Next attribute we see is that God is eternal. Psalm 90 and 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Revelation 22 and 13 says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Psalm 102 25 through 27 says, Of old thou hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. Again, he's not subject to the physical laws of creation. He's not subject to the ravages of time or disease due to his spiritual nature. He is eternal. He has always existed. And that's, that's one aspect for us that's very difficult to understand. How can something always be? I mean, it has to have had a beginning somewhere, right? It kind of reminds me of uh, Isaac Newton tells this, uh, this story. Not anymore, of course. <laughs> but he did. Of this, uh, he was giving a lecture somewhere, and he was talking about how that the earth was hung on nothing. It kind of floated in space. And this woman came up, this older lady came up to him afterward and said, You're a very clever uh, young man, but we all know that the earth is supported on the back of a turtle. Apparently that was a popular belief at the time. And <laughs> Isaac Newton was very respectful and Okay, well, can you explain to me then what is the turtle standing on? And she said, ah, see, you're a very clever young boy, but it's turtles all the way down. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> it's not turtles all the way down. But... The idea that something doesn't have a beginning is counterintuitive. Everything has a beginning. That's how creation works. That is how creation works. Everything does have a beginning in this system that God created. But God exists outside of that. He always has existed. Well, then, how long did He exist before He created everything? That's also a non-question because time didn't exist. Before creation. Time came into existence with creation. 
in the beginning. That's when time started, in the beginning. It didn't exist before that. So how long did he exist? It's irrelevant. It's, it's a non-question. And again, things like that really bother us because it's hard to wrestle with those kinds of concepts. Trying to understand exactly how does that work. But just understand, it works. It works. God has always existed. He always will exist. Again, He doesn't have a beginning. He exists today. He doesn't have an end. He is from everlasting to everlasting. All the way back and all the way forward, God exists. He is eternal. God is omnipresent, meaning He exists everywhere simultaneously. Psalm 139, 7-12 says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. So as a spiritual being, as an omnipresent being, he is present in every place in creation simultaneously. Now, if we were to explain this naturally, A physicist would say that, well, to be able to do that, you would have to be traveling at infinite speeds. If you were traveling at an infinite speed, you too could exist in every every place in the universe simultaneously. Of course, the way God made the laws of physics, that's impossible (laughs) for us. But He is present. And again, he's not bound by physical laws. Laws that say, for example, two objects cannot occupy the same space at the same time. Because my wife is sitting there, I couldn't sit there too. I could sit on top of her or have her sit on my lap. But that's not the same exact spot. We can't inhabit the same space simultaneously. That's a law of physics. God can Okay, God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Jeremiah 32, 27 says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Daniel 2, 20 and 21 says, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His. And He changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom to the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. Jeremiah 27 and 5 says, I have made the earth, the man and the beast that are upon the ground by my great power and by my outstretched arm and have given it unto whom it seemed meet unto me. And John 14 and 14 says, If you shall ask anything in my name, anything in my name, I will do it. Because he's capable of doing anything. Thirty-one times in Job, God is referred to as the Almighty. 
What does Almighty mean? He has all might. He has all power. God possesses all power and all authority in His creation. And again, we've made mention of that. We look at how many stars there are in this galaxy, how many galaxies there are in the universe that we can see. Every one of those stars are powered by nuclear fusion. There's a tremendous amount of energy out there. There's a tremendous amount of mass out there. And if you're familiar with the Einstein's famous equation, E equals mc squared. How many have seen that equation somewhere? Energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. The speed of light is very fast. So if you have a very small amount of matter, basically what this equation says, if you have a very small amount of matter, you can get a huge amount of energy from it. If you look at the release of a nuclear explosion, that's a very small amount of mass creating an enormous amount of energy. And that's not a very efficient uh, expenditure either. If we were ever to get to a fusion bomb, that would be many times more destructive. So if you convert all the mass out there to energy, there's a lot of power out there. And it doesn't represent any significant portion of God's total amount of power. God has infinite power. He has all authority. God has the power to make anything happen, anywhere, anytime, by any means He chooses. He wrote the natural laws that govern His creation, and He can supersede them at will. He's not bound by His creation. His creation is bound to and subservient to Him. To the extent that He can rewrite history if He wills, He can rewrite the laws of physics if He desires, He can create and destroy as He chooses, He can do whatever He wants with His creation. He is sovereign. Who's going to tell Him no? Who's going to override his edicts? Nobody. Now, humans, we try to. God wants us to do specific things. He wants us to live in a specific way. A lot of humans say, no, I want to live this way. I want to do this thing. And of all creation, we have the authority to do that. But, of course, the consequences are also ours to face for the good choices and the bad. In creation, every other aspect of creation is bound by the will of God. When God says to the storm, be still, it has no choice but to be still. When he tells the sun, stand still in the sky, it has no choice but to stand still in the sky until God releases it again. The manifestation of the will of God in His creation is so powerful that the entire history can be rewritten. The laws of reality can be rewritten. Whatever has happened can be changed. I don't know if it has. How would we know? But my point is this. Whatever God wants to happen is going to happen. And for us, for you and me here today, that is a 
That is a powerful concept to grasp, and it's encouraging. And it should be building our faith right now. Because whatever we ask of God, when it's according to His will and His purpose, He can make it happen. And we understand by getting to know God and building a relationship with Him that He will. He not only can, but He will. We need both. There are a lot of people that can do a lot of things, but because they won't, it doesn't matter to us. I've used the analogy, uh, I used to use Bill Gates, but now I've switched to Jeff Bezos. Sorry, Bill. Maybe in the future we'll get you back in there. Anyway, Jeff Bezos can take care of all of your finances. You got debt? He can take care of them. But nobody gets excited about the fact that Jeff Bezos can take care of my debts. He can buy me a new house. He can buy me a new car. Whatever financial problems you have, he could take care of them. But no one's excited about that because we know he won't. Right? Nobody gets excited about the fact that he can. Now, we worship God because he can. Absolutely. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our praise. But just because God can... I say this respectfully and reverently, but just because God can, that doesn't see my need met. Just like Jeff Bezos isn't going to meet my need just because he can. My need is met because he both can and will take care of my needs. When we have both, then my need is met. He told the man in Scripture, <laughs> the man told Jesus, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Jesus' response was, I will be thou clean. He was acknowledging the fact that he could, he wasn't sure if he would. God will meet our needs, all of them. All right, God is omniscient. Proverbs 15 and 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Omniscient means all-knowing. Psalm 139, 1-6 says, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but, O lo, O Lord, Thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid Thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Amen. All knowledge and all information is known and can be immediately recalled by God at will. Trying to understand the idea that somebody knows everything. All information. Everything that has passed. Everything that will come to be. Is Brother Richard okay?
Brother Booth, you take care of that. Let's pray right now, can we, church? Let's pray for Brother Richard. Lord Jesus, you are our healer. You are our great physician. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, whatever the situation is, whatever the infirmity is right now, that you would take care of it, that you would touch my brother right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Heal him completely. Give him strength in his body. I worship and I praise you, Lord Jesus, because you are our great physician. And he is no fool who puts his hope in you. Our hope is in you. Our trust, our confidence is in the Lord our God. Hallelujah, Jesus. We thank you for hearing our cry, for being able and willing to take care of every need that we have. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Need to call an ambulance, do it. Sister DeBooth, can you turn the uh, live stream off, please?